KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. COVID 19 has been this massive part of our lives for about a year now. And I think there was this sort of big sigh of relief when the vaccines were first announced and started to get distributed. It felt like the end was finally in sight. But it hasn't really gone the way we thought, just like everything else in this pandemic. So, is there a right way to put together some kind of coherent, effective plan to get everyone vaccinated? And at the core of this issue, what are the biggest roadblocks here that are keeping us from getting it done? Dr. Harold Schmidt is an assistant professor of medical ethics and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania. We've had coronavirus vaccines for a few months now. But to start out, how do you think the rollout has been going up to this point? And what aspects of getting this many doses of vaccine out there have been the biggest challenges so far? So I think there's, it's understandable that many people are very frustrated with how the rollout is going. And it is an incredibly complex process, right? We've, as a country, we've never done anything on this scale. So I think it's fair to say that everybody is still getting the head around how we should go about this. And what I see is a very sincere commitment at state and jurisdiction level efforts to get this right. But in many ways, we run into obstacles in the real world, how to make these things happen. So we're in the early days. There's a lot of rough waters, but I have reason to believe that going ahead, we're, we're getting into smoother waters. Your other question was, what are the what were the biggest obstacles in the rollout, right? Mm-hmm. So there are various barriers in the way, right? So one is, how do you actually arrange the logistics? It's really non-trivial. States have been given some notice, but they really only knew what the vaccines they should plan for were from October. Um, so there's a lot of pieces to, to get into place, you, to get your ducks on the road, to, to make that happen isn't trivial. The other thing is that we've only just in late December uh, had final guidance on the initial phases of priority groups from the CDC. And that has caused a lot of friction too for states. So CDC initially asked states to publish their allocation plans at the end of October um, so that they would set out how they prioritize different population groups. But the CDC's advisory committee that provides guides from the CDC perspective only published their final guidance in December. So that caused a lot of back and forth with states where they had already started um, establishing priority groups. Then they got a reorientation from the CDC. And now with the new Biden administration that does so many things right in terms of especially prioritizing equity, we have yet more reorientations. In, in particular, an interest to open up phases that, that are felt to be too constraining. So if you are a policy planner at the city level or at the state level, that's a lot of things to align, to get the logistics into place and to have repeated reorientations in terms of the overall allocation framework and directions that come from the federal government. So those things, I think we all have to cut the policymakers a lot of slack and understand that it's really an incredible job to square all those things and and make uh, allocation happen in the real world. 
Right. And that's uh, that's changing so much even before the Biden administration kind of laid out their plan. And I've been following your writing and I think you made some really interesting points about American inequality and how that's kind of fitting into the vaccine distribution. How has inequity become a stumbling block for vaccine efforts? Can you break that down a little bit? You know, what's the saying? No problem exists in a vacuum. So what's kind of the backstory to this rollout and American inequality? Absolutely. So in general, when we have to ration, right, when we have situations where demand outstrips supply, what we try to do is we maximize benefits. That's sort of the staple in ethics, that that's how we approach these situations. Now, the problem with COVID is that if we do that, we will very likely only exacerbate existing health inequalities. And that's a huge problem and one that helpfully policymakers both at the state level and now with the new Biden administration also at the federal level have recognized. And the the basic point is that we have uh, highly unequal outcomes in terms of health outcomes and life expectancy in the country that largely reflect different access to healthcare systems that reflect different social mobility for racial and and ethnic groups. And because health is closely associated with place and there are many clusters in which people live who don't have the same opportunities to live a healthy and long life, that is something that needs to be considered in how we allocate vaccines. So, for example, to make it concrete, right? If I'm working in a state and I'm thinking, okay, I've been given a thousand vaccines and now I distribute them. Why don't I just do that by population and um, distribute them across my region? Well, it turns out that some people in some regions can actually live in an easy way, in a socially distanced way, live safely and wait a little longer for a vaccine than others. And that's the real imperative that we recognize that whatever allocation plan we have in terms of ordering our priority groups, whether we have essential workers before older groups or the other way around, within each of these groups, we must make sure that more disadvantaged people get access to vaccines before those who are less disadvantaged and who are more privileged, because for them, it is a lot easier to wait a little longer. And it is that's not the case for people who are worse off. And because society is structured the way it is, more among the group of disadvantaged people in society are racial and ethnic minorities. And that's why if we accomplish equitable vaccine allocation, we can actually reduce existing inequities rather than maintain them or worse, exacerbate them. And do you see any good activity coming out that are putting these social inequities, you know, top priority when they are looking at vaccine rollouts? Or how do you think states can make this or do a better job of doing this? Yeah, so there are two main ways in which that can be done. One is through the phasing. So, for example, one of the reasons why the uh, CDC's advisory committee, ASIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, prioritized essential workers was because this population group comprises more minorities. So, so that is one way in which you can address the equity aspect. But the other is that within each of the phases, whatever the population group is, let's just say older people, right? There are some older people who are very well off 
And there are other older people who are not very well off at all, who live in crowded setting, in multi-generational settings, where they are at much greater risk of infection. There we have a much greater need for a vaccine. And the good news is that we have measures to capture this level of vulnerability. There's one measure that the CDC uh, has developed, which is called the Social Vulnerability Index. And basically what it is, is it's a compound measure. So it, it integrates a couple of different measures, such as quality of housing, income, educational attainment that all give us a sense of how badly off or how well off are people living in a particular geographic area. And the sad truth is that we see considerable clustering such that if you look at a city map of Philadelphia, for example, people in West Philly are a lot more disadvantaged. And because of societal inequities and historic racism, we have a much larger share of African-American um, people living in West Philadelphia, for example. So those are the regions where we need to prioritize access to vaccines, as opposed to, say, many better off areas in the suburbs where people live easily in ways that can allow them to wait for a vaccine a little bit longer. And the good news is really that states are increasingly recognizing the importance of considering social vulnerability, and not just states, but also the federal government, because it's really encouraging that in the new COVID strategy, the Biden-Harris administration has asked CDC to work with states and cities to revise the allocation plans so that they describe what they do about equity using a measure such as the social vulnerability index. That really has a unique use in being able to be our compass, right? As we go forward here, the key thing is states may differ in how they organize different population groups in terms of the priority of giving them access to vaccines. But they should not differ in terms of whether within each of these groups, better off people get access to the vaccine before the worse off people. And that's where measures such as a disadvantage index can provide us constant orientation. And time and time again, whenever we get a new batch of vaccines, we can say, well, let me see, have the better off received more access to vaccines than the worse off? Or not. If that's the case, let's let's make more efforts to get vaccines to my worse off people. So so it's very important then to track who exactly is getting the vaccines. We did a story about how Delaware kind of fell short on finding out who exactly is getting the vaccine. How important do you think that is moving forward to know what populations are getting the vaccine? It's incredibly important. You know, it's, it's often said in health policy, we, we can't uh, make progress if we don't measure things. And that's exactly what we need to do here. If we're serious about health equity, we need to know, well, how are we doing on, on health equity? Now, you raise an important point here, which is that, of course, data on race and ethnicity is very important. And it is depressing that we are not collecting data on it. It might just suggest it doesn't matter, which is very odd after the year that we've had, right? But the other thing is race and ethnicity is not the only factor. And that's, again, where a disadvantage index comes in because a measure such as the social vulnerability index does include race as one measure, but also other aspects such as quality of housing, crowding, educational attainment, income, and all those aspects together really matter. Vulnerability is a very layered concept. It has many different ways in which it can play out. Sadly, a race often is tied very closely in the sense that more among the worse off people are minority populations. And uh, that is something that we need to correct here. So 
we definitely need more data. There's no question about that. The steer that we see from the federal government is to use a measure known as the Social Vulnerability Index. And that is really something that integrates these different elements and provides a currency that we can really also measure across different states, which is also important. So that holds a lot of potential for making sure that we are on track with accomplishing equitable vaccine allocation. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned the Biden administration taking over and the differences there, but can you kind of break down what exactly the changes in federal leadership are from Trump's team to Biden's team and how this is going to have an impact on vaccine distribution? So the main and most significant change for vaccine distribution that we've seen with Biden-Harris COVID plan is a really genuine and thorough commitment to health equity. The importance can obviously not be overstated. The the year has just shown us in such cruel clarity how worse off minority populations have been hit so much harder by COVID. And it is simply unacceptable not to do anything about this. And that is what we see in the in the Biden plan as a clear commitment. This then breaks down in various different elements. And one in particular is greater transparency about data. So we, we briefly talked about this already, but having a good sense of how are distribution efforts actually reaching different population groups, in particular better off and worse off groups, is something we urgently and pressingly need data on. And we have a commitment to make that happen. Likewise, asking states to report on vaccination allocation efforts using something like a disadvantage index is hugely important and a great way of basically universalizing something that quite a few states are doing already. Because colleagues and I did a review of uh, states' initial adaptation of this approach of a disadvantage index, and we have seen that at least 18 states in different ways are using this this measure and evidently find it useful for their efforts to promote equitable allocation. And it's it's really an important step to see this recognized in the federal administration plans too, to say we want this as one of the elements that helps us track whether we are accomplishing equitable allocation, especially with a goal of vaccinating a large number of people over a short time. It's critical that we don't just focus on numbers, but we also know who the numbers are, right? It's not particularly helpful, neither for public health nor for social equity, if it turns out 100 million people who've been vaccinated in 100 days are all among the uh, societies better off and all the people who are at much greater risk are not among them, or for that matter, at a much smaller share. So the focus can't be just on numbers, but has to be on the distribution. We have to know who is it who's being vaccinated rather than just focus on the overall numbers. And I think both of those elements we see clearly in the Biden-Harris plan, and that's really encouraging. Every state is different. You mentioned a few that, you know, there's a you know, more than a dozen that are doing things in a maybe more um, conscious way of doing this. Is there a simple thing that can turn a state around right now who maybe are realizing that, you know, they weren't keeping track or they weren't doing this? Um, Is there like one thing that they can do to really turn it around quickly? So I think the first and most important thing is measuring, right? Getting an understanding of who am I reaching with my vaccines? Not just am I meeting my quotas in terms of numbers, 
but who are the people who benefit? So the, the initial phases where we focused on healthcare workers and long-term care residents, for example, are in a sense easy because we have these institutions uh, where we have a, you know, an address and we send the vaccines there and then we distribute them within these um, buildings, more or less. But as we go on, it gets increasingly more spread out. And that's where it gets really important to have a good infrastructure in place to know which areas am I reaching in what way, whether it is using pharmacies or uh, other other places where uh, I reach different parts of the population. So having a system in place that lets us track that is really imperative, not least in view of the uh, administration's plan to ask states to report uh, on equity progress relative to something like a disadvantage index. So, so that's a, a really important point. Right, knowing where those CVSs and Walgreens are kind of located. Absolutely. You know, I mean, just think of most cities. I I live in New York City. Uh, Within a mile radius, I have America's most expensive apartment, not my neighbors, and a very large housing project, and huge variation over a small geographic radius. At every street corner, we have a pharmacy. Now, how should I allocate vaccines proportionate to population uh, across all these uh, street corners in equal measure? No, I should make sure that I have a lot more vaccines available close to the projects and far fewer in the places that are located to the pencil towers, right? Because most of those people are have left the city anyway. <laughs> and in any case, they can live safely for quite a bit longer and aren't at the, the same risk as people are who are much more disadvantaged. So this is one example where we just have to be clear that there's intense variation over small geographic uh, distances, especially in cities. And that has to be recognized in allocation such that we make sure that worse off people have certainly no less access than better off, but ideally more access than better off. And again, we see some states taking initiatives in exactly those steps. Looking back on how things have gone so far and where we're heading, if magic, if I had a magic wand or something and you're in charge of U.S. vaccine distribution, how would you have done things differently? For one, it you know everybody is an expert in 2020 hindsight, right? But it is striking that we started planning for vaccine allocation frameworks relatively late in the game. We started developing vaccines from January last year. And in all seriousness, at the federal level, for sure, work on an allocation framework really only started in the summer. There's not really good reason for that. That that could have started a lot earlier. And in particular, thinking creatively about ways in which we address the vastly disproportionate impact on racial and ethnic minorities that COVID has had in the first half of last year in ways that are impossible to ignore, right? So that that needed to be reflected, that we need to have a societal discussion about that was just overwhelmingly obvious. Now, the political setting at the time was such that there was no interest in making that happen. But in an ideal world, we would have had that conversation a lot earlier. We're only starting this now, and it's not an easy discussion. But I'm really encouraged by what I see both at the federal level as well as at the level of states and cities in in terms of sincerity of trying to get this right. So, you know, at the moment, 
it it really is choppy waters, but it it really is in reach that we can make a major step forward in terms of promoting equity and reducing inequities and in vaccine allocation. If more states do what some states are doing already, which is to use a disadvantage index for a range of different really important reasons. And one of those is to uh, make sure that we have dispensing sites in places where more disadvantaged people live in ways that are easy for them to access. We saw that with testing, right? Not everybody has the luxury to be standing three hours in line for testing as was necessary in the early days and is still necessary in some places now. And the same goes for vaccines. So making it easy for people who have maybe caring obligations or jobs with inflexible working hours to get vaccinated is a key thing for that disadvantage indices are key. Then secondly, targeting our outreach and communication strategies accordingly is a similarly important thing. We can't just trust that people know about where to be vaccinated. We can't trust that everybody knows how to navigate oftentimes complex online systems to make an appointment. We have to be creative and do outreach strategies with populations to find out, well, what works for people where you live to get vaccinated? What barriers do you have? Um, th that's another important point where we start by looking, okay, where are most disadvantaged communities and how do we work with community leaders in those groups to make sure nobody is left behind? And then another option is to simply make sure that uh, worse off groups don't face scarcity. We've already seen in the last couple of weeks a lot of examples of better off people working the system as they always do um, to their advantage. Now, the response to that is let's make sure that we have enough vaccines for worse off groups. And one easy way is to simply increase allocations and states like Tennessee, New Hampshire, Massachusetts are doing that already. It's it, In the end, it's just a spreadsheet but it does a lot for equity. So that, that's another important way that we can do. And then finally, what's really important is to measure and monitor and course correct if we need, right? So getting data on who is vaccinated, am I reaching my worst off? And at every time that I get a new batch of vaccines, checking on these data and making sure that we're course correcting. If it turns out we're in the wrong direction, well, uh, that's no good. As a state policymaker, I still have to answer if I have an outcome where the better off people have a lot more vaccine uptake than the worse off people. To simply say, well, it looks like they didn't want it, it doesn't really pass. That is not understanding the lessons that the last year has taught us. So we have to be a lot more proactive than we have been in the past and seize this opportunity to really reduce inequities with vaccine allocation. And we can do that. The key thing really is to make sure that we dovetail this important activity at the level of states and cities with that high-level commitment at the federal level, because it just hasn't been in that close reach to make equitable vaccine allocation happen so far, and, and that's the opportunity we have to seize. And I think the other piece I mentioned is, you know, and you raised that already also, but, but simply to, to make sure that that's captured, because I think it's important. Right. You rightly said, even in the three states that we looked at, um, there are quite a few differences in terms of priority groups, in terms of how the phasing is set up. And that's inevitable. But at this point, we have to move on. We can't keep on arguing, well, but why you have this group before that group? That That is not helpful for moving forward. But what we can do and what is just as important is that within each of these groups, we just make sure that worse of people in particular 
are not left behind, that equity doesn't fall by the wayside, and that we can do group after group after group. And let's not forget, uh, the priority groups are only half of the population. They're important, no question, right? But even when we get to the general population, the same questions apply. When it gets to everybody who's not orderly vulnerable for other reasons, um, is not a healthcare worker or essential workers, social justice questions still arise. And then, too, we want to make sure that worse off people are not left behind, that ideally we have no differences in vaccination coverage rates across the different tiers of advantage and disadvantage that we have in the society, and by extension, that we don't have differences in vaccination uptake across racial and ethnic groups, because that's the important thing that 2020 should have taught us, that we can't continue like this, but we have to reduce and not exacerbate or maintain inequities. The point here is that it, vaccination or fairness in vaccination allocation is not about us, but about all of us. And in particular, we have to be mindful of uh, the fact that some people are in much more dire situations and need vaccines much more urgently. And that's, I think, you know, a key question everybody has to answer for themselves who are thinking about jumping a line or, in fact, doing that, that it simply is unethical to deprive somebody else of a vaccine when it is possible for oneself to wait a little longer safely, right? That, that, that really is an important aspect. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.